0: Oh, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Michael. For those of you who don't know me, I'm on one of the uh, ministers here in this church. I'm going to start by praying for us before we uh, open God's word together. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you we come here together to uh, worship you. And just pray that as we now uh, come to your word, please help us to uh, clear our hearts and listen to what you have to say to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, for those of you who know me, I love my planes. So I've got another story to tell you today about planes. Now, do you know, this photo is taken at Sydney Airport. Now, do you know that Sydney Airport has one of the most restrictive curfew acts in the world? The act is known as the Sydney Airport Curfew Act 1995. It stipulates that no aircraft shall depart or arrive between 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. each day, with a, th- with a few exceptions. Mostly small propeller planes, a small cargo plane, or business jets, or is an emergency. The fine for breaching the act is enormous. Currently, it's between $110,000 to $550,000. And this act is strictly enforced. Let me give you an example. On August 8, 2003, a Virgin Blue flight from Melbourne was flying to Sydney and the plane was approaching Sydney Airport, approaching the runway. It was just 200 feet above the runway. The landing was aborted, and the flight returned to Melbourne. The reason was, it was 45 seconds past 11 p.m. It was 45 seconds after the curfew has begun. During the go-around, the plane engine would be at maximum thrust, and I'm sure the residents around the airport we have heard the plane thundering past them. The Sydney Airport curfew X 1995 is often criticized for its inflexibility. Let me tell you another story about plane. This one, this time, it happened on September the 11th, 1974. An Eastern Airline DC-9 had crashed on approach to Charlotte in South Carolina. Only 10 passengers and crew survived. That even that night, the approach was very foggy, weather was very foggy, and the pilots had a great deal of difficulty trying to find the runway. The crash investigation found that both pilots were so fixated in finding the runway that no one checked the attitude of the plane. So the plane kept descending until it hit the ground. Not only that, the crash investigators also discovered that during the approach, both pilots engage in what they call unnecessary and non penitent conversation, ranging from politics to used cars. In short, they found that both pilots were distracted. Six years later, the FAA implemented what we call the Sterile Copy Rule. It says that pilots shall not engage in non-essential conversation and activity during the critical part of the flight, namely takeoff and landing and when the plane is below ten thousand feet. Rules such as this one have saved many, many lives and is now enforced across the world because it saves life, unlike the Sydney Airport Curfew Act 1995. Today we'll look at Luke chapter five and six to see how some rules are good, some are necessary, but some creating a burden on people. Back to our story, our series in Luke. Jesus is still in Galilee. He's still teaching people about God, performing miracles and wonder. And so far we have seen different responses people had to Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they particularly didn't respond well. They didn't believe Jesus was God's son, the Messiah. Have a look at verse 33 with me. They said to him, the Pharisees said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Now, the issue with Jesus and disciples wasn't praying, but the issue was they're not fasting. Fasting is when we go without food. And fasting dates back to Leviticus 16 in the Old Testament, when God commands his people to fast on the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the seventh month each year in the Jewish calendar is to show the repentance of the heart. In the book of Jonah, Jonah finally went to Nineveh to announce God's judgment. It says this, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. They fast because they were repenting. Israelites also fasted to express their grief. When Israelites returned from exile, they saw Jerusalem, their old city, was in total ruin. Nehemiah fasted to express grief. When I heard these things, he said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So people fast in the Old Testament to express their repentance of sin, but also to express their grief. But in the Old Testament, the only requirement for fasting is on the Day of Atonement. That's the biblical command. But the Pharisees, they changed the rule. Luke 18, Jesus tells us that they have now fasting twice a week. He said, I fast twice a week and give a tenth again. Instead of fasting once a year as the Bible commands us, they were fasting twice a week. And so Jesus explained to them in a parable. Now, put your hands. Have you been to a wedding reception or party before? Yep, most of you have. What can you find at a wedding reception? Food, lots of food. What else? Drink? What else? What about the people? (laughs) The reason we go there already because of what? The bride and the bridegroom. Yep. So you can find a bride, the bridegroom, and food, lots of it, and drinks too. Now, the question then is, should a guest fast at a wedding reception? No, that's a ridiculous thing to do. Now, Jesus used this as an uh, analogy to teach the people. Now, the Bible often describes Jesus as the bridegroom and we are the bride. Like in Revelation chapter 19, it says this. So on the lar- it tells us what happens in the future. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus' disciples, they were with him. Why would they fast? They were with Jesus. It was a time of joy for them. But Jesus said in in our reading today, the time will come when they will fast, when the bridegroom is taken away from them. So when Jesus is taking away from them, in those days, they will fast. The time for his disciples to fast is after he died when they are grieving. Now, the question then for us today is this. Do we have to fast today? Do we have to fast today? Let's see. Now, has Jesus taken away from us? Yes and no. Yes, he is. He's not with us. He's in heaven with God. But no, because we have the Holy Spirit. John 14 says this. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is with us today in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God, He's our helper. When Jesus came back to life, he met his disciples, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and two others. And he said this to them in John 21: Come and have breakfast. Jesus commands disciples to come and eat with him. So we say we don't need to fast because Jesus is now with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so in Jesus, we have the freedom. We have the freedom to fast or not to fast. If it helps you to focus on God, by all means, go for it. But there's no command in the Bible that tells us we must fast today. So Jesus' teaching is new. His teaching is new, requires a new approach. So committed to the Old Testament law, Jesus' teaching is new. And so he explains to them in a the parable, the parable of old and new. Now, say an example, you have a tail on your old shirt, would you go to the shop, buy a brand new shirt, cut the piece out to patch it? No, it's a ridiculous thing to do, isn't it? It's a crazy idea because one f- first, first one, first thing, you ruin your new shirt. You could hold out you ruin it. And secondly, it won't match the old one anyway. So it turns out you can't fix, not only can you fix the old shirt, but your new one is ruined too. Now, wine scheme, back in Bible time, they haven't invented wine bottle yet, so they've got wine scheme. So wine skins were used to store wine. It's made up of skins of animals, mostly goats. As the new wine is fermented, it will expand and stretch the skin. And what happens if you put the new wine in old wine skin that's already been stretched? The old wine skin becomes brittle and burst. And so the new wine must be put in a new wine skin. Have a look at verse 39 with me in your Bible. It's a very interesting verse. It says this, And no one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. The old is better, isn't it? Old wine is better. So we know that old wine costs more than new. If you go to the liquor shop, often the new wine are usually the cheapest. Jesus is saying that there are people who will only drink the old wine without trying the new. There are the people that are so fixated To the old way of life, that they wouldn't accept the new. They were too fixated in the Old Testament law and the old way of life, that they wouldn't accept Jesus' teaching or the new way of life. The old garment or the old one here represent the Pharisees, but the new garment and the new one here represent Jesus. Jesus is the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. He didn't come to abolish the practices, but He came to fulfill it. See, our Bible between Genesis and Malachi is still God's Word. After coming back to life, after His resurrection, Jesus was with His disciples, and He told them this. He said to them, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in the Scripture concerning Himself. The whole Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, as God's word. Nothing changed. But let me show you an example of how the new covenant, how this at work, the Sabbath. Now the idea of Sabbath is to dedicate a day in a week to God. So that day is a holy day. The idea begins back in Genesis two, two to three. It says this So on the seventh day God rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because only he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God's work is completed. It's finished. He rested. God rested not because he was tired, because God is all-powerful. God doesn't get tired. But rather, God chose to stop working because his work is done. And so God set the Sabbath as the model for our life, so that we can rest, but also to dedicate a day of life to him. And the Ten Commandments, Commandment 4, it says that to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. On it you shall not do any work. So Sabbath, God wants to take it, take a day to rest and to dedicate a day to him. That's the idea from the Bible. But the Pharisees, they have taken it to a whole different level. They're taking it a lot further. In fact, they came up with 39 things one mustn't do on the Sabbath. For example, sewing, reaping, threshing, selecting, baking, tearing, and they also include writing two or more letters, erasing two or more letters, extinguishing a fire, and in recent time turning electricity on and off or the use of vehicles. A friend of mine went to Israel recently, and he was on the Sabbath. Now, have you guys been in a lift before? A lift in a big building? Yeah, a tall building, got different buttons that show you which floor you go to. Now, on the Sabbath day in Israel, you can't press those buttons because they'll be working. And so each lift got a Sabbath mode. So on the Sabbath, the lift will be an all-station service. It serves every single floor so that you don't have to do any work. Essentially, the Sabbath has become a day of thou shalt not. Have a look at verse one, chapter 6, verse 1, with me in your Bible. It says this, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their heads, and eat the kernels. Straight away, the Pharisees saw a problem. Now, the problem wasn't so much about picking food. The problem was, they were working. They were ripping, they were threshing, and they were preparing food. The Bible allows people to pick food off the, off the field. It's allowed, because God wants to show compassion to the poor people who can't afford food. So the Pharisees had no problem with that. Their problem was that the people were working. Now, why do you think they had to pick the grains? Why did they have to pick the grains? What's the reason? They were hungry, yep. And what have they been doing? What have they been doing in Galilee and different places? They were teaching, right? People were hungry, and they have been teaching people about God. Just keep this in mind. After this, Jesus used an example of King David in the Old Testament. Now, King David is a hero. He's a hero for the Pharisees and well respected by them. In our other reading that Ian read for us in 1 Samuel 21, we saw how David was a man on a mission. He was hungry, he needed food. And so on a Sabbath, he went to the priest, and the only food that the priest had at the time was some consecrated bread. Now, the consecrated bread could only be eaten by the priest the next day. David wasn't a priest. But Ahimelech, the priest, gave David the consecrated bread. He broke the Sabbath through. Now, why was this acceptable? It's acceptable because King David is the anointed king. He was a man on a mission. He was in need. He was hungry. If David was allowed to break the Sabbath for a good reason, how about Jesus and his disciples? Jesus is God's son. Now, can you see the similarity in these two stories? David was a man on a mission. He was in need. Jesus and his companions, they were on a mission too, and they were in need. Remember, the purpose of the Sabbath is to have a day dedicated to God, to honour him. But the Pharisees added all these extra rules. It created an unnecessary burden for their followers. Obeying the Sabbath has become obeying a set of rules, instead of honouring God. You see, following Jesus isn't about following a set of rules. Jesus makes this declaration in verse 5. He said this, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, the Creator, is the Lord of all creation. The Son of God, he has the power and authority to override the man-made laws of the Sabbath. Let's have a look at an example of how Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. Have a look at um, Luke 6, chapter 6, verse 6, and see where Jesus was. It says, on another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching. Where was Jesus on the Sabbath? In the synagogue. The Son of God was at a synagogue on the Sabbath. The synagogue is a place where people go and pray and worship God in Judaism. And so Jesus was in the synagogue on a day that is dedicated to God. Now, the man in verse 6, his right hand was shriveled What it means is you're probably suffering from some form of muscular atrophy. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were watching very closely to see if Jesus would heal this man on the Sabbath. Now, according to these Pharisees, healing is acceptable on the Sabbath if and only if there was a danger of life. Now, does the Bible say anything about healing on the Sabbath? No, the Bible doesn't say anything about healing people on the Sabbath. And so, in theory, people should have the freedom to choose how they want to live for the Sabbath. Now, and remember, the Pharisee had issued people working on the Sabbath. So let's see who did the work here in verse 8. Now, Stuart um, told us a few weeks ago that in the synagogue, people, when people were teaching, they would sit down and teach. So Jesus was teaching. That means he would be sitting down in verse 8. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shivered hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Now who did the work here? Who did? The man did. Jesus spoke, but the man, so when they actually did the work, he got up and stretched out his hand. Now, the response in the next verse is, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were furious. They were really angry. Who were they angry at? They were angry at, at Jesus. Which is interesting. If they thought the man did the work and broke the Sabbath, then their anger should be directed at the man. But here, they were angry at Jesus. Now, they were angry, is it because they were acknowledging that Jesus healed this man miraculously? And in so doing, they're also acknowledging that Jesus is God's son, that the Lord of the Sabbath is God's son. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath because he is the law of the Sabbath. He chose human needs ahead of obeying a set of rules made up by other humans. Jesus is not bound by man laws. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, they believed that salvation comes through by works. They thought they could only be saved by works. They thought they need to earn God's brownie points. But we know that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Our confidence should be in the cross. In Ephesians 2, Verses 8-9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith alone. So who is Jesus in our passage today? In summary, Jesus is the bridegroom. He is the new garment or the new wine. and He is the law of the Sabbath. He is the king of all kings. Under the new covenant, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament laws. And so now, we have the freedom. We have the freedom to live as a Christian. We have the freedom to express how we live as a Christian. We don't need to earn brownie points for God. We can't anyway, unless we are perfect all the time. Jesus has achieved that for us on the cross. We need to have confidence of the saving power of the cross. The Pharisees didn't. They have no confidence in Jesus. Like the song we sang just before, Jesus has paid it all on the cross. And we are His redeemed people. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. What about you? Is Jesus your Lord of the Sabbath too? Or is the law still the Lord of your Sabbath? On the one hand, we have legalism. With salvation by work, about earning brownie points. The Pharisees, they had no confidence that the Son of Man could save them. They have no confidence that Jesus could save them. So they believed that to earn God's brownie points, I don't think that's our problem. I don't think our problem is trying to earn God's brownie points. I think by and large, we know that we are saved by grace alone. But Aron Park, I think our problem could be on the other scale. I think we could be too lax in trying to live out the Sabbath, to try to honour God. I think we can be too lazy in living a new life for Jesus. Our church vision calls us to live the message of a new life, to be a faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring apprentice for Jesus. Our thinking, I think our attitude is, should be right. Nobody is at anything, or anything goes. Let me ask you this. How do you spend your Sabbath day? Do you dedicate it to the Lord? How easy is it for you to miss church? We have three services here at New Life, 8.45, 10.30, and the next one, 6 p.m. If you can't come to a regular service, will you try to go to another service? What about if you have shift works? How do you find time in the week to still dedicate a day to God. How are you and your family going at dedicating a day to God? I can't tell you what to do, because if I do that, there'll be legalism. There'll be salvation by works. But remember this, Jesus of the Sabbath, and we have the freedom to live as saved Christians. We need to live a holy Sabbath day for him, a day that is dedicated to God. Let me pray and ask God to help us do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you have sent Jesus to come to our world, to die on the cross for our sin and start coming back to life. We thank you that it is by grace we've been saved through faith. And we pray that you will help us, uh, in the, despite the, among the business of our life, to still dedicate a day to you, a day to honor you. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.